Okay, Hadas, welcome to Short Ends Podcast. Let me start over. <laughs> welcome to Short Ends Podcast. Today we're talking about American Dream, um, f- a film I directed that came out earlier this year um, that has not been screened anywhere due to COVID. <laughs> and uh, today's guest is Hadas Knox, who stars in the film and is also my wife. <laughs> Hadas, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Grana. So, um, looking at American Dream, I just want to give some context on the film. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, could you give some background on where we were and where the film takes place? Yeah, so I was seven months pregnant when we started filming, and we were living in New Orleans, and it tracks us as we had just moved from New York to New Orleans, and... Um, just the last couple months of being pregnant, our relationship, um, and the birth, pretty much. And the film pretty much follows real life. Um, can you start with the beginning of our trip to New Orleans, um, that trip down from New York to New Orleans? What about it? Can you talk about it? (laughs) Uh, That drive down? Yeah, the drive down, because I think that's kind of what started everything. Uh, well, we drove down, we packed up everything we owned everything we wanted to take to New Orleans and we drove down in I think like three days three nights Um, (laughs) and then that was it and then we got to New Orleans and we had no place to live so we stayed in B&B's for gosh like two weeks and then eventually we found a place to rent and we were there for six months yeah I think when we first got there was even longer I think maybe three weeks of Airbnbs and moving around um, can you talk about what happened when we first got to New Orleans <laughs> okay. and why we were in that situation to begin with? Oh my God. Okay. Well, uh, it's a little embarrassing, but we <laughs> got scammed. <laughs> got scammed. We thought we were, we thought we had an apartment already, like this really nice one in the French Quarter. And then we realized when we got there, it didn't exist or it existed, but it wasn't for rent and, or it was for rent, but someone was already renting it and she wasn't us. So we, um, so yeah, we were, well, I especially was super panicked just because when you're seven months pregnant, like any instability is scary. So we were there, we had no place and yeah, and we had already spent a ton of money trying to get down to New Orleans and yeah, that was, it was stressful. It was a stressful few weeks until we found our place. Yeah, it was an interesting start to New Orleans in a city that's famous for conning people and gambling and all these types of uh, uh, all this type of debauchery and everything. <laughs> I felt like it was a very uh, appropriate welcoming to the city in a way, a hazing uh, by New Orleans. Yeah, I agree. And I, it's kind of funny because, like, I feel like when you're brainstorming your films now, you're you you start with the location. You're like, oh, in this film we should go to Spain. In this film we should do this. But this one is kind of like, you didn't pick New Orleans necessarily. It's not like we went to New Orleans to do a film. We went to New Orleans to have our baby and, you know, start like a new life. So it's kind of funny in the film how New Orleans kind of like becomes this, it becomes a character in and of itself. I feel like you have a lot of shots of just like the nature and the city and, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious like how moving to New Orleans um, influenced your film in that, like, you didn't choose it, but you just happened to be there. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because we did move down there first with no intention to make a film, and then 
a month into living there, um, we started shooting every day. Um, but I, I think it was very much out of just the, the practicals that we moved there and I didn't have a job. Uh, we had time. Um, our son wasn't born yet, so there was kind of this pressure uh, that we, there was this impending uh, thing coming that we knew was going to eat up a lot of our time. Um, so I think it was also, you know, given the circumstances, it was like, uh, you know, let's make a film. I mean, I think you know, filmmaking is uh, kind of a way that I live in a way to, to, to get through the day to day and everything. And when you have time like that, um, you know, what better to do than to make a film? And also just since we're in New Orleans, for I, you'd been there before, but for me, it was the first time. So it was also kind of that first look at a place when it's still magical um, and b before it becomes dull and just, you know, you see it as an everyday type of uh, thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the city itself was very influential as well. Well, on that note, I have another question. The Ishai role, I thought, um, you know, in the same way, it's not like you had this role for this, like, what is it called? Like a foil character. Um, that you decided to cast, you know, but it was just the other person we knew in New Orleans. The only other person was my brother. Um, and so he ended up kind of being the third largest character in the in the film. And, you know, there are motifs surrounding him, the bike. And I mean, do you feel like, I don't know, how do you feel like it could have been different if it weren't Ishai or something? Like if I didn't Well, I think we inevitably it just would have been different. I think that the film grew out of natural circumstances, which is how I like to make films in general. It's kind of, you put yourself into a situation and then out of that natural drama comes the narrative and it presents itself. And Ishai had this motorcycle, which, you know, he rode around everywhere, which was great for his character and, beca and he became uh, kind of this freewheeling symbol um, as opposed to us who are starting into this domestic life. Um, so I think it's, it was just taking advantage of what we had available and then making it work and, and kind of bending it into a narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think Ishai was available and he was the only other person we <laughs> knew, knew in New Orleans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then with like, I guess since it is so based off of our real experience, like when you were editing, were you were you trying to like get to some truth or were you trying to craft like your own story from what you had? Both. I mean, I think that, you know, with editing, you're always trying to pare down to a certain truth um, and strip away the fat. Um, but also you want to build in some type of narrative. If it's supposed to be a narrative, then, you know, you want to build in some type of narrative. Um, and, you know, it was a combination of, uh, an idea that I had in mind and then also what scenes we had shot how they fit in and kind of and again just the natural trajectory of our lives um, how you could show that and, and turn that into a visual story mm -hmm. but I think your like unique spin on it was very clear like when I watch that film I see it you know I don't it's not my it wasn't my experience like I don't feel like I'm looking back at a memory I feel like I'm kind of more looking at like your memories um, if that makes sense. <laughs> so like I kind of I'd be curious to hear you explain like in your mind like who these characters are or like how they change. Or... Well, I think it's my my memory of it or my experience of it because I was shooting it and editing it so inevitably it's gonna have you know my stamp on it is gonna be heavy. Um, in terms of the characters you know I think it's a young couple um, 
a you know a wife who wants certain th- or you know a to be wife <laughs> who, who wants certain things um, and has certain needs and then those needs aren't met uh, by the husband you know the boyfriend um, by where they are and the circumstances of, of moving to a new place I think Ishai's character represented this younger freewheeling person that um, my character you know, at that time wished he could have been or, you know, wished he could have been on the motorcycle running around and getting tattoos and, you know, kind of living that uh, college type life. But wasn't I wasn't able to because I was being pushed into this um, more mature role and into this role of adulthood and, and uh, husband and father and, and all of these types of things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a coming of age piece uh, for all the characters in different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, you had been to New Orleans before, right? Yeah, I'd been twice on vacation. So, what was, did you have expectations of New Orleans when we moved there? And uh, how was New Orleans in comparison to those expectations or past experiences? And uh, did it live up to those, or, or was it different this time around? Well, the first two times I'd been on vacation, so of course it was going to be different, which I knew it's different, you know, to just go and like see a place as a tourist than to actually try to make roots there. Um, and also it was harder to, I found it a lot harder to like make friends being pregnant. I had like this story that like no one would want to be friends with a pregnant person. And then like once I gave birth, I didn't know if I'd have any time to go out or, you know, I just felt like it was kind of a lost cause. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I love the city. I love the history, the stories surrounding it. It's like known to be one of the most haunted cities in America. And um, I was into that. I love like the voodoo aspect, the, the architecture. Um, and I loved where we lived. We lived in the Marigny, like right outside the French Quarter. It was so beautiful. We had such a nice house. But I think what I realized really quickly being there was none of that really matters. Like what what matters is like your your community and just like feeling like you kind of like belong in a place and fit in. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, we'd go for walks every day and we would like look at the, the beautiful shops and the cobblestones and um, I would go to work, I was teaching Pilates and I would try to like make friends and go to the social events that all the teachers were going to. Um, but none of it was really right. Like I didn't come back from New Orleans with any new close friends um, from my job or, yeah, I don't know. I think it was just kind of like, okay, it was nice to have a nice house and live in, in that really beautiful place, but we didn't have any support um, or community, so. Just about in New Orleans again, specifically coming from New York, did you experience a culture clash? A little bit. I mean, not like too much. They're both cities, but New Orleans is definitely, or I guess I experienced it to be a lot like slower paced. Um, and like also in terms of making friends, I just felt like the, the conversations were so different. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it exactly. Like, yeah, different in what way? Like, I felt like I was teaching Pilates in New York, and it was really easy to become close with the other instructors. And, like, some of those instructors from five years ago are still my closest friends. Um, and it's not even like we, we came from the same background or anything. But I don't know. It was just, like, this this commonality of, like, growing up in New York and um, 
caring about health enough to want to teach it or something like that. Like I felt, I still feel like a bond to those teachers, but the ones I met in New Orleans, they're just like, I don't know. I couldn't, I just couldn't really connect as much. Um, I don't know. There were no like true friendships and I, I couldn't really say why. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Definitely a slower paced. Um, you know, it was definitely a Southern culture, but, uh, still a city within the South. So, you know, more liberal than most of the surrounding areas in Louisiana. Um, yeah, I don't know. There were cultural differences, but you know, I agree that it was still felt like a, a city and, uh, you know, maybe not very easy to make friends and that type of thing, but, um, also didn't feel completely far and it felt like a small town in a way or, or a very small city. Yeah, I think driving was a big factor too. Like in the city, we could take subways. In New Orleans, I didn't drive, and it's like a little bit more spread out. So I didn't have that independence I was so used to. Yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of like little details that I don't think I realized mattered to me until I lost them. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we got to New Orleans, also, <clears throat> again, just with uh, kind of the chaos of moving to a new place, not having family there, all that. Um, you know, jobs, I, I was unemployed. Um, there were also so many practical things when we got there. We had to set up, like you were saying, about driving and everything. Mm -hmm. It was like new licenses, new health insurance and all that. And at this point, you were late in your pregnancy already. You were seven months pregnant? Yeah, I was seven months pregnant. and Which is late to find, a, you know, a, you wanted a birthing center and all of that. Um, yeah, my first choice wouldn't take me. They wouldn't take anyone as far along as me. Um, and then I was, you know, interested in a home birth as well, but it turned out when we got there that health insurance didn't pay for home birth at all. Um, so we were really limited. There was only one birthing center that was an option for us. It was about 30 minutes away on the other side of town. Um, and it was fine, but I didn't really like it. It definitely wouldn't have been like my first choice. Yep. Um, before we get into the actual birth and all of that, um, when we started filming, uh, what was that like for you, being seven months pregnant and starting to film this movie? Did you know what we were doing at the time? No, not really. <laughs> you kind of were just like, you were just always like filming and I was kind of used to that. And I didn't know, you were very like elusive about what you were doing, whether it was like a film or just for you or whatever. And there's like one part in the film where I'm like lying naked on the bed, like surfing the internet <laughs> and you start filming and I'm like, okay, babe, like that's just for you, right? And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But then of course it makes it into the film. I'm like, well, oh well. <laughs> um... But yeah, no, I don't know. So during it, talk about that a little bit, just what it was like when we were actually making the film, because we never worked off an actual script or anything like that. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little more about that process of just uh, having the cameras rolling all the time? Well, I think they, they weren't rolling all the time. I think there, there, was, there was somewhat of a script. Like there are scenes that we recreate, like where we're talking about Isha coming over for dinner. Um, that was a real conversation we had and we, you know, reenacted it. Um, but then there are other scenes that were like totally documentary style. Like when we told Ishai for the first time that we were getting married, you know, that was like you, you had the camera ready and he came in and we really told him for the first time. It was a, like a hidden camera shot. Yeah. We, 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 you know, texted him ahead of time, hid the camera, let it roll for 20 minutes. And then uh, when he walked through the door, estimated everybody's heights and everything. And, yeah, uh, it was... So, I don't know, it was a mixture. There were some scenes like that that, you know, I thought I wanted the real reaction on. And, uh, you know, I knew that we'd only tell Ishai once in our lives that we were getting married. 
that we were he was only going to have that reaction once. So and luckily it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely nice we had that on camera, and a lot of it feels like this like time capsule. Like, I, you know, sometimes I, it's easy to forget a lot of what happened, but then we'll always have that. So that's that's sort of nice. And then it's also just like I already knew you. I knew you would be like filming everything, and that's just kind of like par for the course. So yeah. <laughs> was it stressful for you to be filming while pregnant? Specifically, no, it wasn't stressful. I don't. I mean, no. I think it would be more stressful if we weren't filming because then, like, you wouldn't be like happy. <laughs> um, but I think the only thing is like my vanity. Like looking back on it, and I'm like, oh my god, I was so fat. <laughs> That's it, though. But otherwise, it's like it's nice to have. It's just sort of like separating myself from it and you know seeing it for like this kind of I don't know just like this really sort of special time capsule as opposed to like 52 minutes of me looking fat well, I remember like some of the checkpoints in the film like some of the doctor's appointments getting the wedding ring things like that I wanted to film all of those but you know of course I didn't want to get uh permission from everybody and mm -hmm. and uh sign uh, you know waivers to film in all these places so I would go in as the the expecting father mm -hmm. and say, oh yeah, this is you know oh, we want this for our memories right. for posterity, <laughs> which is true, right? Like the the whole film can be interpreted as a whole movie if sure, you want. Yeah. You know, technically, what's the difference of you know whole movies or uh, or something that's slightly edited or whatever? Um, but going in under that guise to get some of those, you know. Uh, checkpoint moments in, in the, the relationship or whatever. Yeah, and also, I mean, there are moments where you're filming, like, for example, like me and the nurse after Thanksgiving, and you were like, hey, can I film this? And she was like, sure, go ahead. But then there are other moments where it's like, I'm kind of like battling the midwife to, like in terms of the intervention she wants to give that I don't want to receive. And it was kind of like clear you weren't supposed to be filming, so the camera is like on the ground or something. like you're like pretending it's off, you know, because it's because <laughs> you're not you're clearly not supposed to be filming it. So it's like, um, yeah, I mean, you were a little bit sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of that, the the film is also very much about the politics of birth, right? Uh -huh. um, can you speak a little bit on that? Because there were a lot of scenes in the in the film when you're talking about what kind of birth you want to have and having battles with the midwife um, or battles with the nurses and uh, arguments about, you know, what's going to happen after the baby's born, this type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those scenes where you're justifying your points to the camera is the actual like, research you had done. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and just about the, the birthing industry in general? Yeah, so it was really important to me and I think to us um, to just do everything as physiological as possible. So a natural birth, no pain medication, um, no intervention. I was taking a doula training course at the time. Um, I already decided the kind of birth I wanted, but then I followed up with this doula training and that was just kind of one of these circumstances where I happened to like get the scholarship to a free doula training and it all kind of worked out so I did the training and um, you know I remember the the midwife was saying who the midwife who taught it was saying you know the biggest risk um, in pregnancy and childbirth is who she chooses as her healthcare provider 
and it just really kind of like stuck with me because it just depends if you have you know a midwife or <clears throat> even an OBGYN or whoever it is taking care of you and they really respect like the kind of birth you want to have and give you space to to do things your own way you know it can be a really like incredible transformative um, even you know virtually painless experience um, you know and that's what I've heard from other people or what I was hearing from other people at the time who had had home births and natural births and that's really what I wanted like I didn't want to I didn't want any intervention at all and that was really my priority but it also was like my first time giving birth I didn't feel like I wanted to do it without any medical professional um, and home birth wasn't an option financially so we decided to do it at a birthing center in a hospital or I guess that was really like our best choice um, but it's still like a hospital you know there's still like regulations and you know those doctors don't really want to take any risks and partly it's because they you know don't want they, they don't want anything bad to happen of course but it's also like a lot of it is just political and financial and they can't have any lawsuits on their hands so you know it's easier and more lucrative for a hospital to for example schedule a c-section than to allow a woman to labor for 17 hours in one of their rooms um, and have a natural birth so um, it was sort of like fighting against all of that and I think a lot of I think the midwives I had they might have even thought that they were kind of trying to get me to take certain medications and do things their way because it was good for me or in my best interest like they, they really might have thought that but I think the more that I researched and kind of defended my case the more I was just trying to show them that it wasn't really it wasn't really true like the kind of like statistics and logic they had been taught was not necessarily you know the only way to look at things so it was sort of a a battle and at one point you know the midwife was like it seems like you'd be a better fit for a home birth <laughs> and I was like yeah I know I just like can't this time so so there were a lot of like sacrifices with that that were hard for me to accept I think your character in the film also uh it comes off heroically in that way there are circumstances going against you kind of in terms of finances um, the birth that you want that you're not getting um, a husband who maybe isn't fulfilling all your needs and yet you're kind of you stand on your own two feet and take on these doctors um, and at one point in the film you know they she backs down even and says well you know, I don't know, they just don't like to do it or something like that. She doesn't have any facts to, to argue with you. Mm -hmm. um, and she kind of concedes to your research. Um, so in that way, I think your character comes off very heroically. And, you know, it's a very pro-birth, pro-natural uh, pro birth film uh, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean... I Even if your character in the film, you know, and you in real life didn't have that experience... It's, you know, that, that, that fight for it and maybe, uh, you know, seeing how it didn't work out for your character, um, I, you know, I, I think it makes, it makes the case for natural birth. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you don't really get to see, like, a positive natural birth in the end. 
Um, I mean, it is natural and everything, but it's, I think, like, I don't know. When I watch it, I feel like I'm looking at somebody in agony and... You know, it's like I'm trying to, I feel like the whole time I'm talking about like the, how it can be like this really intimate, like beautiful experience um, in the right circumstance. But meanwhile, I'm like in the hospital, they're like, you know, putting all these like tarps on top of me or whatever, nurses coming in and out. Like you see like little kind of judgmental glances from the nurses and, and my midwife picks up the phone and she's like chatting with her fiance, like while I'm like literally pushing out a baby and she's like yeah honey uh-huh uh-huh yeah that's <laughs> one of the most ridiculous scenes she's on the phone talking about changing her last name because she just got married it's infuriating and, and she's having a private conversation some legal conversation while you're there laboring in the tub and it's it's just crazy like we had talked about how I wanted you to be the one to catch the baby and to cut the cord and all these things and then you just like every step of the way she's fighting with you she's like no no we're not gonna do that like okay you can put your hands on mine and she's talking to you like i don't know like there's some like fifth grader or something she's like teaching about like whatever meanwhile it's like your kid like i'm pushing it out you should be catching it like the whole thing was just like infuriating and you know you and i talk about like whether i liked your film or not like it's kind of like beside the point to me like i i hate watching that back because it's like I just like remember it and it's like the most like it should be the most powerful woman ever feels and it's like one of the most like powerless I've ever felt I, that's why I think that scene is so powerful though because that powerlessness that is shown makes the case for that uh, you know that real free birth or something mm -hmm. but it's also like you know you can't like go to McDonald's and expect spaghetti it's kind of like my own fault like I I went to a hospital for a natural birth like you you know <laughs> like what did I expect in a way it's I almost feel like it's like you know uh, yeah I, I want everyone to just like back away and just let me do it and be there like just in case there's an issue um, but I don't think it really can work like that in a hospital mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, during the actual birth were you aware that I was filming Oh, no. I wasn't aware of anything. Mm. It was, like, on another planet. I mean, I, we had talked about you filming, and I, I wanted you to film. I wanted you to get what, the footage you needed, and I wanted to remember it. Um, yeah, but no, I was not aware of, of like, any of that, mm -hmm, really. Mm -hmm. You had a doula during the birth also, and, that was, and as part of her doula uh, assistance, whatever, <laughs> I, I trained her how to use the camera. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, in case I'm busy with the, with the labor, I want you filming. So she was a technically an assistant camera person for yeah. part of that. <laughs> Did you give her a credit? No. Oh, <laughs> um, after the After the film was made, um, after we shot the film and I edited it, I put in a lot of your home movies. Mm -hmm. uh, had you seen any of those movies since you were a kid? No, I don't think so. Not really, not unless you like showed me snippets here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what was it like to look back on some of those home movies? It was funny because I remembered some of them. Like the, the one of the scenes you chose where I'm like dancing in this like big old dress with another little girl. Like I totally... Uh, remembered it she like lived in my building and we had all these like nice dresses that my preschool teacher had given to my mom for me when I got older and it was just funny like I yeah that was sweet I mean I would be curious to hear more about like your thoughts on like why you why you even had the home movies in there first of all I think I love looking at people's uh, home videos I think that it says so much about them uh, it's seeing how some the circumstances in which somebody grew up 
um, the way they were raised, things like that. And because this film is so close to life and your character is so close to your own personality and your own identity, I think uh, they're in there to speak to your character and to give it some, uh, some background. Um, and then I think of this film is about uh, generations also. It's about a new generation and uh, new life. And, you know, you have Jedi coming into this world uh, as a, a new person who will have his own home videos. Um, and in that way, like I was saying earlier, I think the whole film can be considered a home video to that extent. Um, it's not shot on, you know, film with professional lighting and sound and all of this. It's shot very low budget the way you would a home movie. Um, and I, that's the nature of the film. And I think, uh, you know, it's, um, it grows out of that love of home videos. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Jedi looks a lot like both of us as kids, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, what? Well, I'm curious about the title, the choice of the title, American Dream. The title, American Dream. The film is titled American Dream because it's our unique look at the American dream, right? We're starting a family, we're moving to a, to a new place, we're moving into a house. Uh, these are, this is what the American dream is made up of. Um, except in our situation, we move to a place that doesn't exactly work out, we wind up moving back to New York, and the American dream is fraught with all of these other um, things that happen along the way to the characters. Um, also, we're moving to New Orleans, which is a particularly American city, uh, although it's not because it fr has French heritage and Cajun and all these influences. Um, so that's the idea that there's no such thing exactly as the American dream. And then there are dream elements in the film, right? There's, uh, there's dreams uh, to go back to New York. There are dreams of New York. There are dreams of Chinatown and Fort Tilden and these places that the character dreams of. Um, and you know, uh, so there, there's. It's also the idea that it's more like the American hallucination or something. It's a dream, baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are also some like semi like shamanic undertones in the film. Would you say like? I'm trying to think when specifically, but I feel like you have the, that like humming. What was that? That um... there's one when you're on the beach. And there's uh, there's that humming. What do you what is that? That like shamanic Buddhist kind oh my of God. Oh, yeah. Like that. And like when you're kind of like rolling, even when you're like smoking yeah, it's a, it's or something. A, it's a, a shot of looking at, at a rolled at, a, at a, a cigarette, right? At a, an unrolled cigarette. Yeah. That's when that ohm comes in, and it's this this thing of the character who you know, he's trying not to have to smoke, and he's you know trying to be the dad and this and everything. And then you know it's midnight, and he's there staring at the at the open cigarette, ready to smoke, and. It's this, this shamanic moment of, you know, okay, we're going into the other world. Mm-hmm. So. Does that have to do with the title, too? The American Dream? Sure, yeah. I think that, that fits into it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, like, it's funny because we, you and I, like, obviously had, like, some little, like, what's the word? Tiffs? Spiffs? Spliffs. <laughs> we, we smoked some small spliffs. We, we talked about the, the <laughs> drinking and the smoking because I was, you know, totally against it as most people are when someone's pregnant. But you kind of always had this, like, this other argument about it being that it's, like, it's good for you and it's shamanic and it helps you reach other. And, you know, you put it in the film. It's not like this thing you're, like, 
oh, I'm going to hide that I'm drinking and smoking or something. You're like, it's like you're, you're proud of it in a way. Um, I think there, there are two sides of things. There's like, you know, the day side where, you know, you're driving around, going driving your wife to the job and, you know, making sure that you're at the doctor's appointments and all these types of things and everything. And then, you know, you kind of flip the switch and it's the nighttime and there's another side that needs fulfillment, a spiritual side, you know. Um, again, maybe the, the dream side of American dreams, something like that. And, uh, you know, I think that for the character that comes out in, you know, when he's running around at night barefoot, meeting the people of the night and, uh, you know, somehow is able to converse perfectly with these two strangers on the street who are talking about slime and and the craziness, you know, and, and yet there, there's some connection there. Yeah, you do fit in perfectly. Like, it's, I was just re-watching it, you know, and there's like that scene, you have that girl with a crazy laugh and like the guy... And the guy's like, handing me a pipe. Yeah, they're both like, like I don't know. They're Street like, urchins. Exactly. But you're there and you're barefoot and you're scruffy and you're drunk and you're just like a street urchin. And I'm like, and then we walk back to the house and I'm like, oh my God, God. you're like stumbling. You're about to hit your head on something. Your toe is broken or whatever. You got that. You did get the foot fungus that they were talking about. That's not in the film, but you got it. And like... Um, yes. You know, I think these are different sides <laughs> that, that are important to be fulfilled. You know, yeah. you have, I think you can't let the weight drop. You have to be very practical and make sure that everything's okay for, uh, you know, the new baby and the appointments and the, the food and all this type of stuff. But then also the nighttime comes and, and there's other things that need fulfillment. And, you know, there is a spiritual side. Um, and whether you want to call that, you know, shamanic, whatever, you know, there is a history of you know, tobacco use and other substances and everything to, to reach that. But, uh, you know, I think there's a wildness that also needs to be recognized, or, you know, that you can't just dampen and put down forever. Yeah. I thought the chronology was kind of interesting. I mean, you definitely play with time in it, like not only with the home videos and the footage of Jedi when he's like two years old, but also just like the, the narrative itself. I mean, you talk about like well do you want to get married and then there's actually the proposal shot which i don't know if anyone watching would necessarily know that's like the proposal shot but i know because we're standing on the bridge where you proposed and you have that like much later in the film um so i don't know i'm curious like your choice to kind of like play with time in that way well i think it's a the, the whole film is disjointed to some extent in terms of time um i, I think like the pregnancy was a time when things kind of felt uh, it, it was almost one one atmosphere or something during that time and it, it didn't uh, you know I can't remember it in terms of like day to day an event event uh, an event to event or something but it all had the, the same feeling so that's why some shots come in later and some come in earlier um, but in terms of, of chronology and uh, again to, going back a little bit to what you're saying about like like, you know, the ohm and the, the shamanic elements, everything. Also an interesting uh, kind of plot point in the film that echoes maybe in the spiritual realm or something um, is at one point, you know, we say like, oh, we want to be out of here in six months if, if nothing changes or whatever. And then, you know, a little sooner than that or whatever, but the plot turns when my dad gets cancer and we decide to go back home, mm -hmm. which happened in real life too. And, it, you know, kind of, strangely happened right at the end of the lease. Mm -hmm. So I always thought, you know, that was a, a very 
you know, a real thing that happened that it became a very natural plot point and a natural, you know, turning event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about like, I mean, you talk about plot points almost as if it were a narrative, but I still, I think of it as experimental. I mean, where do you think it falls and how did you kind of decide which one to go with, experimental or narrative? I think it's a lot more narrative. I never looked at it as an experimental film. An experimental film to me is really just something as much more purely abstract. Um, to me, this has a plot. And just because it you know, doesn't happen one, two, three, I don't think it means that it's not narrative. Um, so I always saw it as a narrative. In terms of the editing, it's edited very naturalistically where I felt uh, something where I felt something needed a beat or something was somewhere, something a shot should go somewhere. I'd put it in. There are certain shots where I'd let it linger, or you know, let the, the camera even like falls in a couple of shots, and I, I let the the hit be in there because I felt like it, it almost was like a switch flipping to the next scene. Um, so there was a rhythm there that I allowed to be in there. Um, but to me, I always saw it as a narrative film. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not like any narrative I've ever seen, and even like the length is like, what is it, fifty? three minutes or something it's you know it's not like a feature it's not a short film I, I feel like a lot of it is, and then then like you know playing with the chronology and I think there's a lot that isn't necessarily like clear to someone who views it like the fact that Isha is my brother like we kept trying to figure out ways to make that more obvious and you know I don't know if it ever became obvious or not but it seemed like a lot of those questions when you were talking about it during editing, like um, it seemed like you would not necessarily care, like if the audience understood something or not. Um, and to me, that's like that speaks to its experimental nature. But what do you think? I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm misinterpreting, kind of. No, I think there are things that are vague, um, and, and yeah, I don't I don't care exactly because I don't think that's the point of the movie. It's not exactly you know who's who and what's happening here and there and whatever, uh, you know, it's this atmosphere that, that leads up to the birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what's important to me is, is building that atmosphere. And uh, there are certain things like the Ishai character that I tried to sharpen throughout the film and define better um, because I didn't want that to be misinterpreted. But, you know, outside of things that would be detrimental to the plot like that, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel the need to exactly... Um, hit people over the head with with a story per se yeah i think like that's it definitely has that atmospheric like quality like you you feel the film more than you well i don't know i mean maybe it's also me because i'm in it but i definitely but, feel it but again it's a dream right yeah i mean i think that that's also how i want people to be left with it in a way is this is like this ghost of the american dream where you, you you feel it like the way you feel a dream when you wake up where it's kind of fragmented and, it, and that, yeah. and that, that would, I think, like also to your point about like editing things out of sequence and everything. I think there are parts of it that are you know fragmented and are like that. And I think it talks also again to New Orleans and like that spooky nature of New Orleans and that kind of you know mystical voodoo side and everything. That, that things aren't necessarily what they seem to be, and they're not so literal. And you, you know, you get the picture, but you know, after a night of drinking, things might be a little you know, misplaced in your head exactly, you know, as to how they happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I think that's very, very true. If anyone is interested in seeing American Dream, um, please write to me. 
at shortendspodcast at gmail.com or granulnox at gmail.com and I will send you a private link. Um, the film was supposed to premiere this year, but that got put off with COVID and uh, there's no premiere in sight. So right now I'm sending out to select individuals. So please write to me if you're interested in viewing the film. I think it's really just a very unique film. It shows, you know, who we were at the time and what we went through together was um, very unique to us. You know, we were in a new relationship, um, like with very limited resources and experience together. And we are very different people in a lot of ways. And um, it's our story of kind of how we just like made it work in a way and it didn't work like perfectly you know it's not like the typical American dream but I think for us you know it really did work out in a lot of ways and I don't think a lot of couples in our situation could could say the same like we did end up getting married we have a four-year-old we're pregnant again um, and we're really happy together we love each other and um <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's like, it's a very personal, intimate, um, look at that time in our lives. And I mean, I don't know, like necessarily why like anyone would care about like us or something, but I think just as a film, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's really unique. And I think that could be inspiring for other filmmakers who sort of have this vision, but it maybe doesn't fit into a certain box. Um, or category as being just experimental or just narrative or this length or that length. Um, but I really admire that you don't care about those sorts of criteria and you just like create the thing that's in your soul. And I think because of that, it is a completely um, unique piece. Well, you know, let me just say, <laughs> I've been editing this film for three or four years now and I've seen it at least 500 times. <laughs> and every every time I watch it, I mean, I'm in love. I'm really in love when I watch I love the film. I, I love the characters. Uh, you know, and, and at the end when Jedi's born and, and you've gone through everything and, and you're safe and everything, uh, you know, I, I cry. Yeah, I, I cry too. I love this film, you know. So I, I really think, you know, it's a, a human uh, story, you know, at the end of the day. And uh, it touches something, you know, it might be unique, it might be, you're saying it's experimental, this, that, something. but I think it's a human story at the end of the day. And I love it. I've seen it 500 times and I'm still not bored. Yeah, definitely. I think like as much as I sort of like have these little things like, oh, I don't like the way I look or sound or whatever. Like, you know, I do cry when I see Jedi born and when your dad is on the phone with you telling you he has cancer, like it's really, really emotional. And I think, you know, I'm trying to write a novel and I'm like trying to find that that really human aspect of it where something happens and you know the reader gets emotional and I don't know if I have hit that yet it's like it's a hard thing to really like to really get to where it's like it's so raw and so real that you do you know it brings you to tears or something and uh I think your film does that babe <laughs> a lot of nights of drinking babe <laughs> Thank you, Hudas. Thank you for sitting down with me tonight. Um, it was great to look over American Dream again four years later and uh, discuss some of the, uh, the process. So uh, I'm looking forward to our next future together. So am I. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the baby. Oh, yeah, baby.